When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another new episode of the Declutter Me podcast with myself, Shalina. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to the wonderful Lisa Sherrington-Boyd, who is also known as Principal Lisa, and that's where I first got to know about her, and then also known as the Potty Queen. Um, If you're not following her on social media, you must, just, just for the pooping videos, the sponge pooping, not sponge, the pillow pooping videos, Um, Lisa is an ex-nursery school principal in Dubai and has been working with babies and children in a variety of ways for the last 30 years. Um, Using her amazing skills, she helps potty training, toilet training, sleep training as well, and also providing nanny and queen, sorry, nanny queen services to help families struggle with toddler or child behavior. Um, So I wanted to chat to her about her life before and now, and also to get some tips on how to help any of you parents dealing with toddlers and children in a stressful situation currently. So welcome, Lisa, to the Declutter Me podcast. Thank you. I've never had a principal, so this is very very exciting to have as a guest, a principal. So, hi, how are you? (laughs) Oh, it's lovely to be here. This is a... um, a podcast that we should have done ages ago and I've been waiting yes. for the chance to meet you because I'm I, I'm a great fan of your wonderful work in helping families create spaces that enable them to feel a bit better so it's wonderful to meet you virtually. Thank you Lisa yeah no we've been talking about this for what a year now I think it's been like but just time just time goes doesn't it like yeah and we've got so many people to help um but yeah first let's talk about you all right so you Oh, you you were a principal. How did you get to be a principal? Like, what makes you think, let's become a principal? Well, I think my family would say I was born bossy. Right. Uh, so even as a child, I would be lining up my teddies and dollies into classrooms. You know, I mean, I had like a Dewey Decimal Library system at home, you know, like with, with, with my books. and right. So I think that... I think that there has always been a part of me that that wanted to sort of, you know, help help people. And right. um, my mother would also say that um, I was always somebody growing up that wanted to help other people. And so if there was anybody in our community that, that may be facing any challenges, they were the ones that I wanted to invite round for tea. Oh, so it's just been a long, you know, a long road, a long road of that. But when you're a teacher... You love what you do and you're always in your classroom loving. You feel like you'll never, ever want to leave the classroom. But then you get older and it's time to take on those leadership roles and allow the younger, the younger teachers to take over in the classroom. And so that's how it kind of naturally goes into. All right. Oh, okay. Amazing. So that's how you then went outside of the principal sphere. But how did you get to be a potty queen? So I, I first took up a leadership role and that very first day I felt kind of sad because I wasn't in the classroom in the thick of it. Right. 
and you think, oh no, so does that mean I'm never going to be back in the classroom? And somebody gives you a radio mic and you, not a microphone, but a radio and you run around to school dealing with things and fixing things and you feel like oh, I've truly really made it. Yeah. And you walk past the classroom and you feel kind of sad that you're not in there. But then you realise that teachers get sick and guess who has to do the cover? Right. You- <laughs> So actually, you never really leave the classroom because you end up having to go in and do the cover. And that's what really led me into doing what I'm I'm doing now, is that um, in 2019, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, a spine disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which um, left me at this point in a wheelchair and really wanted to continue my work. But I was going around the nursery on a Zimmer frame or or a a wheelchair. And it was a day in which two of my teachers couldn't come to school and they were sick. And I was managing a class of two-year-olds, you know, with a few assistants, but still. And I thought, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I think I have got to face that I've got this illness, which is degenerative and it's going to get worse. And I had four spine surgeries over those coming few months and I ended up in ICU and I was in ICU for about three weeks I was trying to run to school with my mobile leaving voice notes trying to manage the school and I just thought this is this isn't going to work and then COVID hit didn't it in in February and I'd gone back to school and I was in my wheelchair in January 2020 and I was really sad inside. I felt like something was dying, like that old me was just was just dying. You yeah. know, I was so ill. Yeah. COVID hit. They closed our school. And the whole world changed, as you know. And yeah. I had 180 children that I suddenly needed to educate from home. That was 180 families who were desperate in need of support, who couldn't cope. And so everything I'd ever learned in running workshops for families, all of that help was suddenly extremely useful. Yeah. And and then that's when I thought, do you know what? This is a gift from God, really, because I can't be that old person anymore because I don't have the health. So this is the future. This is the new me. And I've been potty training children for 30 years. And I thought, I reckon I can do this virtually. Yeah. it's amazing isn't it like the things that have happened I mean COVID's been so bad but then the things that have happened come out of it to allow us to do other things and to you know yeah to talk and zoom and it's just amazing I mean yeah like I started doing podcast episodes via zoom because it was just easier than getting the guests in so yeah no it's amazing and I I remember you that's how I found out about you because you we have mutual friends and you were sick and you were in hospital and then, you know, we're all sending prayers and everything. I remember like, yeah, that was the first time I heard of you. And then you became body queen and that's, that, that's been it really, isn't it? So um, let's, let's talk about potty training as we're, we're talking about it. So I've seen it in action recently with children, um, with clients' children and also with my friend's kids and my nephews. Um, I'm lucky to walk away, but I've had pee on me, especially I had pee on me last week from a kid who's potty training right now. So I, I, I've, I've experienced it to a point, but how early can potty training start? And uh, Yeah, let's talk about it. What's, you know? Yeah, well, I have quite controversial opinions about okay. 
black potty training. And um, I think in the beginning, I stood alone in my opinions. Um, and But I'm noticing more and more that people are beginning to shift towards them. So right. hearing it first on Shalina's podcast of what the future of potty training is actually going to look like. Right. Okay. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. Yes, it is very, it is very interesting. So for many years, there were books out there and I, I expect your listeners and your families will know about these books right. and it will owe something, potty training three days, potty training in an afternoon, get the job done, you know, you really? can do it. Yes, yes, yes. For years and years, it's been about getting the job done over three days. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. And, and and of course, this may this makes everybody want to rush out and buy that book and think, wow, this is it. Yeah. I won't worry about this for a very long time. I'm going to do it in three days. Mm. And there are lots of children that, that that do manage it, you know, in just a couple of days. I've had children that will pick it up in an afternoon. Yes. But that's not all children. Right, the problem yeah. is, is that that focused and pressured approach to toilet learning have led to an enormous amount of children with toileting issues, such as significant constipation. So several things have aligned in our family communities. We've got pressured toileting. We've got more sedate children. We've got less healthy lifestyles and eating. Um, We've got children going to school earlier. So all of these things combined have created an issue in which my diary is full of families who are struggling beyond what is reasonable with toileting that has gone wrong because it was so pressured. They had to get it done and their children were constipated. And now they've got children who, you know, are significantly withholding their pee and poop through anxiety. It's a big issue. Oh, wow. And plus, if they have anxiety, then they have other tummy issues as well, then, like like we have as adults, isn't it? So Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a big issue. And so what I'm really campaigning for is playful potty training. Mm. Um, and... And of course, parents would think, well, that's lovely. We'd all like to play and, and just potty train and, and what an ideal Lisa that is. But it has to start with playfulness. It has to start with creating that environment where children want to return to something. And we know as educators that children learn through play and that when children engage in an activity which is fun and they yeah. feel good about they will naturally want to return to it because they're children and that's what children do. But when we start this regimented regime of taking a child every 30 minutes, you know, plying them with smarties so that they'll do it or stickers or it gets confusing, it gets messy, it gets stressful. Yeah. Oh, well, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, this kid that peed on me, it was peed on me twice, but that, that's been longer than three days. It's been two weeks because I've seen them twice. So that's why I was like thinking can't do it three days. This kid is not doing it three days, but... Um, they don't. That's the thing. But then what happens is the parents start to think, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. I'm not very good at this. Or even worse, maybe there's something wrong with my child. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, I get it. Just, just talking about it is stressful. Like, you can't... I don't think you can do it. Yeah, that's bonkers. I think you're right. Yeah, you're, 
This is, yeah, you're blowing my mind. Um, so, but, all right, so I was dealing with a, a boy recently, but are boys harder to train than girls? What's yeah, the, are they all the same? Yeah, not at all, but everybody says that. And I think that there's that, that um, common myth that boys are harder than girls. But actually, do you know, a lot of my caseload, particularly in the long-term pee and poop withholding, are actually girls, not boys at all. Um, I think sometimes we think, oh, we have these, these stereotypical um, labels that, that, that we can attribute to gender, such as maybe boys, you hear this a lot, and I certainly don't agree with it, but boys are lazy when it comes to toileting. But actually, we've got to remember that boys can actually pee anywhere. Yeah. In many ways, they can be a little bit more simpler and easier you know, to toilet learn. And um, no, and I personally, I sometimes think that we're training too late. We're missing the curiosity window that naturally comes in actually around 18 to 24 months. And right. um, I'm old school. So, you know, I'm, I'm an ex-professional um, nanny from when I was 18. And we were trained to do potty training when the children were about 18 to 20 months. But over the last 30 years, that's changed. And now we're trying to toilet train three-year-olds who've got an idea that the world doesn't have to go the way that their parents say. And yeah. they realize they've got choices. And then that's when it goes really wrong. You hit a three-year-old with a, we're going to toilet train in three days. And the, and the toilet and the toddler's thinking, uh, mm, no thanks. No, no, yeah. Yeah, and if they've already gone through the terrible twos or they're doing the terrible twos at three, they're going to be even more of a nightmare. Like, why? Why would you do it then? Oh, my God. No, no. Yeah, it gets stressful. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Yeah, I remember my nephews in the terrible twos and threes and they were a nightmare. I was so glad to just switch off from talking to them. (laughs) So. I can't imagine trying to get them to party train then. Um, so what comes first, pee or poo? Both together. Both together, you see. But, um, you know, what comes first, pee or poo? And sadly, a lot of families will think, oh, well, my toilet, my child is torture. In fact, I had a phone call from a family this morning. He said, my child is, is toilet trained. It's great. It's going really, really well, but they'll only poo in a nappy. Well, uh- Unfortunately, they aren't toilet trained just yet, but that you know they're halfway there, which is great. But we do have to do the two things together. We have to, if we are going to do toilet learning, we need to remove those nappies and kind of go for it. We can't do half measure because children get used, they're yeah. not sure what you really want from them and also it's that thing they think does she really mean it this time yeah yeah yeah. no yeah that well we don't we don't decipher as well as adults so I don't and kids can definitely not think about what one to do in the nappy or not to do right so yeah and we so we need to be really clear that you know if we're now going to move forward without nappies that that that's what we're doing however Children who particularly older toilet learners who've been in a nappy for a very long time find it really hard because they're so used to releasing their poop into a canopy. Right. Yeah. So you imagine you're you're a toddler, you're walking around the playroom, you're having a lovely life, you can pee or poop whenever you like, you just drop it into the nappy, all done and dusted. 
And then one day someone says, hey, by the way, we want you to just pee and poop over there on that toilet. Yeah. You've got to get used to releasing it without something to catch it. Yeah. And that sometimes is where the poop withholding comes along because the children sort of suck it back up hold on to it and they're like oh no I don't want to do it I don't want to do it and so mum and dad go and get a nappy and go here you are do it in that and then we've got a problem all right yeah because they're just not learning that's just just fascinating this is I mean I haven't had kids so I, I haven't had to deal with any of that just just nephews and nieces um so um so does it matter if the child is not properly trained for FS1 I'm guessing it's it's it kind really of like it really does, and I. This is one of the reasons that my diary is just so full at the moment, because a lot of these little ones have gone off to school. They turn three, maybe. Mm. They, they they kind of a toilet learned. It was going okay, and then they've gone into school, and parents hoped for the best, and maybe thought when the school said your child needs to be toilet learned. They thought, well, they don't really need it. Yeah. <laughs> and this family that rang up this morning, um, their child's been sent home from the school for the week and the family have been told, you need to sort this this week or she can't come to school. And this little person is having accidents all through the morning at school and she's, she's doing peas and poos everywhere and schools don't have the... They're not daycare, they're not nursery, they're educational establishments. And so they don't have a care plan. They don't have the staff training. And I'm not saying they should, but they don't. So in many ways, if your child isn't, you know, really confident with their toileting, FS1 in a school is not the place for them. They're better off staying in, a, in a, an early childcare centre, right. which, which is good because now we have early childcare centres in Dubai, which means that you can leave your child there till six. They receive exactly the same education as in school, right. but they'll also receive that, you know, care and pastoral support too. Oh, that's good to know. Oh, yeah, that's that's brilliant then. Yeah, because then they can be trained properly and somebody will be there to clean it up as well, I suppose, as well, because... Teachers teachers are the skills, you know, because yeah. it's really hard, you know. And then, you know, I've got sorry, I keep telling you about all my families that I've got this family at the moment where this little boy is going to school, he really, really wants to get it right. And the teacher says, you know, she goes with him to the bathroom and she says, I'm afraid I can't help you, I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Yes. And he can't do all of the wiping and everything. And he's he comes home and he says, I don't understand why, you know, why Mrs. James won't help me, mummy. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a different life at school. Yeah, she can't touch. Yeah, God, this is interesting, isn't it? Right, so what are your top tips to potty train? Oh, my top tips would be, I think if I really speak from my heart right now to give these tips, and I'm imagining someone listening, would be if you can, try to do your toilet learning around 18 to 26 months. Right, okay. Isn't if you've missed that window, don't panic. But if you have got a child that's showing interest, curiosity around that time, seize it, go for it. Okay. Because that can be an easier time to toilet learn. Right. Okay. okay. My second tip is is be clear and consistent, but not pressured. And 
The third part, I would say, is preparing your child well. So that means lots of playful games around pottying, books, silly songs, brown Play-Doh, silly poop, novelty toys, anything to right. capture interest way before you've started. Oh, and do you want one final tip? Yes, yes, of course. Here's my final Okay, what's the final tip? Before you start potty training, start changing them stood up. Oh. So that, you know, they get used to that idea of going into the bathroom to have their nappy changed. Because we've got children, you know, even at three, laying on their backs on a changing mat, getting potty, you know, getting their nappies changed. That isn't taking them forward. That's not setting the right way and the tone of how it's going to be. Well, Choose your timing and remember that the most important person in positive training is actually you, the parent, setting the scene, setting the tone, creating the right environment. So you need to be doing it when you're okay, when you're coping well, and your house and your home is quite organised. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I see that, yeah. Um, And we were talking before about mental health and there seems to be a lot of people with mental health issues right now and I'm seeing it at home so yeah if you've got a cluttered up house and cluttered up life you know your scheduling and your social life is cluttered you're never going to find time to do it's just going to be too much isn't it to like I mean do you see that with clients that when you go to their you know you talk to them or you go to the houses that you see they're overwhelmed just because of their the life they lead Yes, I do see do see many, many families, in fact, all day, every day, overwhelmed, overstretched, overtired families. Do you know one of the things I think actually puts a lot of pressure on families here? And it's strange because we think it makes life easier. But mm. man, families really clutter families. And like, that's a really controversial thing to say. But true. They're there to help, and yet... You often go into a family where you've got a working mum trying to work from home and you've got this nanny who really wants to get in and help mum, but she's not quite sure where her role begins and ends. And the children aren't sure who to follow, what the routine is. Yeah. And, and it's really challenging for everybody involved. Yeah. Nanny and for the you know for the working parent working from home is hard going yeah and even if they go back to work which is happening a lot now they were working going between home and work but yeah you're right I, I see this with nannies and maids because they're not qualified nannies they're you know they say they're nannies because they're good with kids but that's it and they don't have skills to do it in an organised way, set a schedule for the kid. They just play with the kids, feed them, wash them, change their nappies, and that, that that's that's kind of it. So I think yeah, you're right. It's, and, it's an interesting one because I've just worked with a nanny recently. So sometimes some of my working families don't have time to actually meet me. So I work with their nanny. Right. And I'm an incredible nanny. Lani, big shout out. Anyway, so Lani was amazing. She, once we empowered her and yeah. we get autonomy, she absolutely shined. Right. Right. She was an absolute nanny queen. So I think sometimes there is an element of it that some of our nannies aren't skilled or qualified, but there's also that element of that we're not necessarily giving them the resources and the autonomy 
yep. to take that role. And it's so blurred that no one's quite sure who's in charge. Yeah, and yeah. so when he says to the child, right, it's dinner time, you need to sit down, they're thinking, well, I don't need to really listen to you because, you know, you're not in charge. I'm going to run into that homeworking office where mum is yeah. and then I sit at the dinner table. And so we've got... You know, we've got chaos. One of the things I quite like to do is to give nannies a budget to buy resources and, and give them the autonomy to organise their playroom so they take control of their space. Have you ever seen that working with your work? No, and I've never, yeah, no, I've never heard that. That is interesting. We, we'll have to talk about this a bit more, I think. For a, a, we'll have to have another episode. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is fascinating. Like, yeah. We empower the nannies because, you know, they, they're sometimes an untapped resource, you know, and under, yeah. underneath it is this bubbling, is, is, is a real capacity to, to, to do more for the families. Yeah. And, you know, I quite like coaching nannies. Yeah, no, that I mean, there are, I think, with, especially with nannies, because they're so ingrained into the family as well, I think, yeah, you're right, that they have got um, a willingness to learn and a willingness to do things. I mean, when I teach them how to fold the clothes and to put things away, a lot of them do love it and, you know, they love the label machine as well. So I think you're right. It's just empowering them, but it's doing it in a set way and a way that works for the parents as well because some parents, of course, then think, you know, it's, you know, there's more time, the the nannies will get closer to the kids and there's all that kind of issue as well then, isn't there? Yes. Well, you know, that that can sometimes come about, you know, often I will meet nannies that are sleeping in children's bedrooms, um, you know, and that's a blurring there, you know, and having yeah. been a, a trained nanny, we have boundaries as nannies in the UK because that helps us to be efficient yeah. and to be able to deliver the best outcomes for children. And I think if there was one thing that I see really helping families is having boundaries, structure and a plan with your nanny. It yeah. doesn't mean you're giving them more time off. It just means that when they're with you, they're more efficient and they're able to deliver a better service for you and able to, you know, to do a better job with the children. Yeah. But when you're on call all the time, it's a bit too much. Yeah, no, it's too, it is way too much. And I think, as you said, it's, I think people don't realise it's a job, you know, especially people who've never had maids or nannies before and come here and got one in. They don't, they all, you hear them say, oh, I think of them as family and they don't think of them as an employee in the house who is providing a job and a service for the kids. And I think that that's a, a shift as well that has to be made. Maybe, you know, that, yeah. that's part of the training as well that with the parents that they have to treat, treat them as providing a service for their kids you know I feel a training pro- program coming along between the two of us I think so too yeah I know we're, we're, we're coming up with so many ideas I think we definitely have to talk about this like again um all right so let's talk as we've been talking about clutter let's talk about toys because I see you with your novelty toys I do love that uh the poop uh pillow so uh, you know what what do you see with kids, you know, when you're doing your nanny training as well, that, you know, the different methods of decluttering and organising of toys and playing with toys? What's your view on that? Well, I mean, one of the things that I see a lot is overwhelming playrooms, particularly when I'm working. You see, a lot of my work isn't actually toileting. It's a lot of it's on behaviour. Right. And 
because I can't really fix toilet issues until I fix behaviour. And I will often work with family and I can see this playroom in the background and even I feel stressed looking at it. I always encourage families to strip back. So if they look into their playrooms right now, I say to them, two thirds should be put away. It's that dramatic. And one third of what's in a playroom is enough usually to really contribute towards a change and shift in behaviour. In the Montessori learning method, you you have something called you work off a shelf. So that means that you, you have a shelf which is where there are toys, but I would almost say not toys. I would say resources, which encourage learning through problem solving and meet their child, meet the child where the development stage is. But you work off a shelf means that you take something off the shelf, you play with it and you put it back. One of the ways you do that in Montessori is you have a mat. So you will have individual maps for children. So they take something off the shelf, they play with that resource until they complete that learning cycle and then they put it back. You then don't have that sharing either, which is, well, you know, share, share, because actually all the children know that they can't have that whilst it's on that child's map and it returns back to the shelf. Now, that's how we work in a Montessori nursery classroom. Yeah. And you can bring some of those elements into your playroom, you know, at home. So if you've got siblings, they can each have a play mat. So yeah. at least, nice, well, this is me, you know, and I'm allowed to fully play with my toy. So a bit more organisation, you know, putting things away, everything having its place. But here's, I, I often will send out tidy up tips. I'm happy to send them to anybody you know, any of your clients who ever contact you for this, is that sometimes we say to children, right, tidy up time, and of course they don't do it. Because actually it's too big. Tidy up, it's too big. So I like to encourage children to, it's, it's, I'm going to tidy up everything that is red. You're going to tidy up all the things that are brown today. So really make it specific. And if you put visual labels on to some of the toy boxes at least the children have an idea of what goes in them yeah. but they can't process the whole tidy up time when everything's a mess and there's just too much yeah. children play much better when there's less yeah it's true it's so true and I mean yeah I, I deal with massive playrooms and small little corners in the living room full of lots of toys and yeah I totally agree and labeling the boxes and I like labeling it and putting pictures as well so that they learn early what they're learning not just a word but also associating it with a picture as well so it's easier um, to know where to put the toys back as well so I totally agree but that one about the colors I just learned that's that trick uh, a few months ago and it does work with the kids when you say okay help me to put all the like the blue things away and then the red things away it makes it more exciting does and more more of a game and it, I think that goes with everything you're doing that it's 
teaching them with games, isn't it? Making it more fun. Yeah, and collaborative. So if I if I was you know, you know, as a nanny, and I've been there, I would sit on the floor and we'd have, oh gosh, here we go, kids. You know, things are a little bit messy and tricky, aren't they? Yeah. Hmm. I'm thinking that, do you remember, we we have got a rule, haven't we, that we always put the things away in our playroom before we have our dinner. So I'm wondering today, what are our options? Okay, so I'm thinking I could do the blue things. And I'm wondering whether you're going to choose the green things today or whether you're going to choose the yellow things. You choose. Right. So you've given them the concept that, yes, the boundary is we're going to have to do it before tea time. Yeah. You've also said to them, we're a team. We're going to work together. I'm here with you. I know it's tricky. I don't really want to do it either, but these are the rules. And then you've given them the two-choice frame, which is, are you going to pick up the green things or the yellow? You choose. When children think they're being given a choice, immediately there is that part of them that thinks, she really gets me. Yeah. You know, we haven't got that I'm in charge, you listen, do what I say, power struggles sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's awesome. And and plus then once they've done one, they want to do more. So they'll keep on doing they'll be like, oh, I've got to put this away now, a different colour, isn't it? So um I really, I really like the way that you're working in such a concentrated way today. And if you say those things even though they might not be it's called behavior narration and what it happens is is when you narrate the behavior that you want to see children will naturally kind of get in line with it but we do the opposite we say things like you're not clearing up why aren't you listening stop playing you know we're using negative statements and so of course the behavior continues in that negative way it's about switching language too as well Oh, that's amazing. Like, I, I think I need to try that out more with the kids and like change the way we talk about them as well. Um, so how has parenting changed, you know, since you've been doing this for 30 years now and dealing with with kids and parents? So, I mean, we talked about it before with the, the, the pooping and toilet training. Um, but what else has changed that you've seen? I think one of the big changes is, um, is that almost... Yeah, that's another controversial statement. Almost <laughs> as parents, we're being our children's therapists. Right. In what way? Okay, so what do I mean by that? Yeah. I really like it when we talk about feelings, and that's great, okay? Um, it's great to talk about feelings. It's great to hold a space for feelings, particularly when they're big and overwhelming for toddlers. But I think we've got to remember as parents that it isn't our job to change our child's feelings. It's our job to actually hold the space for the feelings. Right. Not to jump in and try and counsel them out of it and sort of coaching them all the time. You know, I think that we just have to accept that, yes, children sometimes feel sad. And that's okay. You know, I feel like that. Yeah, yeah. when parents, are, and, and I'm seeing it more and more, they're getting, they're tying themselves up in knots. They're tying themselves up in knots. They're, they're, and the children can't really see where the leadership is. Mm. I do, we are losing our, our, a sense of parental leadership. And I don't mean authoritarian parenting. I mean, you know, collaborative parenting, but where at the end of the day, you are the leader, you are the hierarchy, you mm. are the all the experience and so therefore you do need to lead a little Mm. so I do think there's a sense that that perhaps 
we might be losing our, our leadership sometimes in parents and, and that makes children feel a bit unsafe. Yeah. And big, long, drawn-out conversations about feelings get so overwhelming, they get complicating, complicated yeah. actual fact they can sometimes trigger more tantrums. Yeah. So that's where we might have seen the shift. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're yeah, you're right. There's um yeah, it's too much mentally for them, I think, as well, isn't it? Because, you know, it, it's too much for us. Where sometimes we don't want to talk about things. We just want to, like, watch Netflix and play on our phones and not talk to anybody. So why would yeah. kids want to do that, like, you know, for a long and, time? And I hear sometimes questions that really are just too big. Like, Daddy's got a new job and, you know, do you think it would be a good idea if we moved? You know, where would you like to move to? Do you like this school or that school? Yeah. You've got to remember that until we're 25, our frontal lobes, so that part of our brain where reason and logic is, doesn't fully develop until we're 25. So therefore, we do need to consider, yes, we want to give children some choice, but we've got to give them choices that are actually sensible. Yeah. With their development stage, do you want to live in Dubai or would you like to go back to the UK? You know, how do you feel about it? Wow, that's scary. That's scary just for an adult, let alone like for a child to think about. Like, no, that that's that's crazy. Yeah, I think it's more about talking and saying, well, this is happening, isn't it? And this is the steps that we'll take. And a a client, no, an organizer did tell me about. these, I can't remember what they're called. I'll have to find it. Um, but they're great that they're like, um, are they like different pictures showing what's going to be happening in the next few stages? It's for, it helps a lot with ADHD. Um, so now, then, later, so making it visual. Yeah. That's where, because I, I get the sentiment from the parents. Okay. I yeah. love. I get the sentiment. They really want to empower their child to take ownership of their feelings, their personality. And that's a wonderful thing. But it has to be in the context of what they can process. Yeah. And actually making something visual, oh, it's just a winning trick for any child. Yeah. You know, whether they, you know, whether they um, you know, are neurotypical or not, but visuals are great. And I like to do morning routines with five paper plates, setting right. out need to do and they count through the five plates like on a washing line really visual such a simple thing inexpensive can work a treat although it would look quite decluttered it would look quite cluttering wouldn't it having a paper plate washing line hanging up no that's fine if it's one it's one set of paper plates not 50 let's let's not have or let's not have five different plates because that will be too much for them as well like one set of plates will be fine, I think. <laughs> and if it helps them, I think that it is for the kids. It's all about visual, isn't it? Visual and chatting away with them as well. It makes it easier for them to process it, I think, for for all kids, isn't it? Yeah, um, in, clu- in conclusion of what you've just said is that you, you spoke about it in the beginning. It's about mental health, well-being. And well-being families, I believe, is, is, is really overwhelming for families right now yeah perhaps we haven't really given a nod to how it felt that trauma as a family of the big life change 
you know, the, the, the pressures of work. And we're trying so hard to be great parents, you know, in society yeah. at the moment. But it's also kind of overwhelming for our little people, mm. you know, they're struggling with their feelings as well. So it's great to talk about feelings and hear and accept them. But I think what I'm trying to say is that there, there also needs to be some sense of that, well, yes, we do have feelings, but there are things like, well, we do have to go to school today, you know, but I get that you feel really unsure about that. I hear yeah. that. I understand that. But after school we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's as you said, there has to be, Boundary, there has to be discussion, but there has to be boundaries. There has to it has to be that middle ground, which is always difficult for anyone to to get to. You know, like um, yeah, it's been a difficult few years, though, isn't it? So it's it's been challenging. And you know, and I I work with you know very small children a lot of the time. And one of the things is is that we've got a lot of two year olds, three year olds who are under who are under socialized. And, um, you know, in that under-socialisation, we've now moving them straight into school. And that, you know, that in itself has been a hard, has been a hard thing, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Um, it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, I think, yeah. And especially having to deal with the socialisation bits after being stuck at home for so long. Um, Yeah, it's, 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 it's a nightmare. But anyway, let's talk happy things. What single thing could a family do today to help them? So let's let's be positive for the for our last few questions. Well, what in what relation to which challenge? What single things? Um, let's talk about. Well, we were talking about pooping before. What single thing could they do today to help them? If you've got a child with a pooping issue, is that it's possible that there's some constipation in there? Right. So you know, do you talk to your doctor. Okay. Um, would be my first thing. Yes. Yeah. And when and like, what's your? What would you say? One tip you could give them if they need to start toilet training. What? How would you get to the the to get to that point of starting the toilet training properly with the with your kids? Yeah, I think the best advice I can give somebody is don't spend all night googling, reading every single book. Just ring me. Right. <laughs> you know I can make life I'll tell you what to do what to say what to wear what you know the whole the whole thing just give it to you and then you don't need to spend hours and hours googling and aside from that please don't start toilet learning until you've prepared your child right preparation means things like what I just said earlier starting to change them stood up right yeah more shifts Help them to build in some skills that are going to take them into that. So pushing and pulling up our pants. Yeah. Toilet paper down the toilet, flushing it, looking at your poo-poo. Let's actually talk about poo-poo and not keep it covered up because otherwise it can be too much of a shock. You know, (laughs) gotta fall in love with Mr. (laughs) Poo-poo. Oh my god! Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. You you need to you just need to start acknowledging that you have this coming out of your bottom. <laughs> Not just for children, for adults. You know, you think about the work. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Bow Babe, that wonderful lady in the UK that she sadly she passed away recently, bowel cancer. Right. She millions around awareness on poop. Right. You know, so I I think we we've got to. We've got to talk about it and get it out there so that these children don't struggle. 
Yeah, no, they do. They're, I think you're right. Like, even adults don't talk about this kind of stuff as well. And, you know, I, I find it hilarious. I use the the menstrual cup and I tell friends about it and I say, you know, you know what I see in the cup and I find it fascinating how much it fills up. And my friends get disgusted by me. And I'm like, but it's a normal thing that all women go through at some point in their life, you know, unless of course they have a medical condition, but yeah, you need to know how much blood is coming out of you. But yeah, they, they don't. Yeah, it's, it's well, you know, luckily I've passed that stage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's all behind me. Oh, you poor girls. <laughs> <laughs> I know one day soon it'll stop and I'll stop having the Oh, it's the worst thing, isn't it? Um, but anyway, on that high note, on that bloody note that we had, um, thank you so much for chatting. It's been so interesting and thought-provoking as well. I just there's so many things I just didn't know about and realize that it's 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 fascinating. So yeah, and you've given so many amazing tips. So thank you so much, Lisa. I really, really do appreciate it. Um and yeah, we'll ha- we'll have to collaborate, I think. We'll we'll definitely have to do a collaboration together. Um so how can people find you, get in touch with you, talk to you, like give us all your details. Well I do I'm not very good at the advertising and the marketing part of it. So most of the time in Dubai, people kind of know about me through a friend, which is lovely. Um, I'm often on the Helen Farmer show, so that, that sometimes people hear me there. But I'm mostly on Instagram, which yeah. is Princess or Lisa, and I share a lot there. I also invite families all the time for free workshops. I believe in giving back to our community. So I have free workshops running. So right. get on Instagram, Principal underscore Lisa, or you can, you know, send me a WhatsApp. My WhatsApp's there on Instagram or an email. Um, yeah, and just, you know, let's chat. I, I offer families a discovery call, just kind of 10, 15 minutes for them to tell me where they are. Yeah. And say, your next steps might look like this. And then they go away, think about it, and I might not hear from them for a while, and then I hear back from them. So, you know, when, when it, the time is right, reach out for me. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So we're going to put all your details in the show notes as well so that everybody knows. Um, thank you again for being on. It's, it's been amazing. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah. Um, so thank you so much for listening uh, to the Declutter Me uh, podcast. If you'd like to get more tips and tricks, please follow us on social media. I'm on every social media platform, including TikTok at D-E-C-L-U-T-T-R-M-E. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. Take Take care. Bye.